Uh, our next speaker um, is Carolyn Pierce, who's going to be talking about leading with feelings, which is a nice segue from that talk. Um, please join me in welcoming Carolyn to the stage. When I say feelings at work, what comes to mind? Maybe for some of you it feels maybe a little uncomfortable. I asked this question of a former colleague of mine and her reaction was one of confusion. She said, I just don't get it. Why are we talking about feelings at work? And this reaction is exactly why we're talking about it today. Today, I wanna to share with you some of my experiences from my leadership journey that highlight how leaning into feelings has made the biggest impact on my ability to lead myself and others, to allow them to reach their full potential and maximize our collective impact. Hi, I'm Carolyn Pierce. I'm a multidisciplinary designer and the head of design at Creatable, an equity of access driven education company. I joined Creatable a year and a half ago as a third full-time employee, uh, just as we went into the second lockdown in Sydney. Since then, we've grown into a small but mighty team of eight people, all with different backgrounds, strengths, and skills. Our culture was truly created remote first. And this meant that as a team, we had to be very intentional about when and how we connected. And it's in this environment I've seen my impact grow far more than I could have imagined in previous roles. And this is important because Creatable's mission is important for all of us. Creatable serves those that are left behind in the world today. Initially started to address the gender disparity in tech by delivering a technology, a creative technology program to high school girls. We then partnered with UNICEF in the developing world, where we created an innovation and entrepreneurship program that was successfully piloted in Burundi, one of the poorest nations in the world, and that's currently being extended to other nations today. And in the developed world, with the accelerated pace of change in industry, our education system is getting left behind and is struggling to keep up with the pace of change. And this leaves our teachers and ultimately their students are the ones getting left behind. So in response to this challenge, we developed an online education platform with courses that are designed to transform teachers' ability to teach critical skills that students need to succeed in an uncertain future. And ultimately, it's these skills that everyone in this room needs to cultivate today to be successful too. And many of these skills underpin some of the experiences I'm going to share with you today. So what we're really talking about is creating the environment, and that's culture. The Centre of Advanced Research in Language Acquisition at the University of Minnesota defines culture as the shared patterns of behavior and interactions, cognitive constructs, and affective understanding that is learned through a process of socialization. And these identify people as part of one group or as part of another. But if we really just break this down, the core components of culture are the way that we feel, think, and act together. 
and first we feel. This influences the way that we think, and the way that we think determines the way that we act as a group. And this is the power of feelings. It is the fundamental core where everything starts from. On my first day at Creatable, one of the founders, Greg, said to me, we want your experience here to be net positive for you. And I was blown away. I've never had someone say something like that when I started. And what that really highlighted to me is how much they were willing to invest in me and my growth and my learning. And that, that was what was important to our culture. Your learning and your growth is what we care about the most. And I feel lucky to, to work in an environment where people are seen as the most precious resource. And the environment has been intentionally cultivated by the leadership team to enable people to thrive despite working mostly remote still. Dr. Henry Cloud says, when a person travels through an organization, they leave a wake behind them in two areas, task and relationship. Task, what did they accomplish? How did they perform? And relationship, how did they make people feel? How did they deal with people? So when I started in, my, in, in leadership positions, I'd spent my entire career focused on task and performance and very little time developing up my, how I made people feel by the way that I interacted with them. So I was pretty lopsided. <laughs> and what, was going, what helped me get to that position really wasn't gonna be what helped me move into a new chapter and be successful at it. So after floundering for quite a few months as a people leader in my first role, I realized I had to sort my shit out. So I started working with an external leadership coach. So I'll pump up the coaches in the room, because <laughs> I'm not one. Um, and that coach was really to help me figure out what leadership actually was and what did it look like for me. Now I expected to learn a bunch of tools and techniques but instead, the process showed me how to connect with myself, to understand my own beliefs, my values, my feelings, and my behavior. And this awareness and recognition of my feelings unlocked a whole new level of leadership that I had not experienced before. But this journey wasn't easy. And it's actually incredibly ironic that I'm standing here talking about feelings. Um, because about five years ago, I was sitting in a mindfulness session that was run by the company I was working for, and the facilitator asked us, to, gave us two minutes to write down as many emotions as we could think of on a piece of paper. I sat there struggling. I think in that two minutes, I managed to write down four emotions on a piece of paper. So I was pretty shocked when the next slide came on and a diagram like this came onto, onto the screen. It made me realize that I didn't actually have the language to describe my feelings. And as a result, I struggled to identify the nuanced difference between these when I actually did manage to feel them. So my limited emotional intelligence meant that my perception or interpretation of what I did feel when I allowed it to happen, or it was so overwhelming I couldn't stop it, um, meant that I was I wasn't able to process these emotions. And I got stuck in the situations that I was in that was causing me to feel this way because I couldn't find my way out. And if we're not acknowledging feelings, 
We are dismissing them. And we're also dismissing what they can teach us. So for example, being stressed, even though it can be considered bad, for me is actually pretty effective. Um, it drives action and it helps me get shit done. But when stressed turns into overwhelm, which is connected to fear and anxiety, it has the complete opposite effect on me. It can lead to in inaction through cognitive overload. And if there's no intervention, I can very quickly move south into feelings of inadequacy and all those fun ones down there. So if I don't have the language for this, I can't acknowledge the difference. And what this means is that stress for someone who doesn't have the language, or maybe they only feel comfortable saying stressed when actually it's probably a few other things on here, it can actually mask something much more debilitating um, that's going on underneath. And so the more that I recognise how this happens for me, the better I can recognise these signs in other people and the people that I manage. And I can coach them to ask questions and identify what's really going on and support them to create a plan to get themselves out of it. Now, I don't think I'm alone in this experience. It's probably quite common for a lot of first-time managers to realise that they've not really built the emotional capacity in the workplace. And the rise in mental health conditions at work shows me that we need to collectively reframe feelings at work to create healthier environments that allow people to thrive. So we've all been conditioned through our workplaces to limit emotions at work. Hearing people say tropes like, emotions don't belong in the workplace, don't get emotional, don't take feedback personally, this creates the behaviour of avoiding talking about or showing emotions because it might be perceived as unprofessional. And when we do this, we're limiting our ability to present, like bring our whole selves to work. And this can lead people to compartmentalise themselves into how they are at work and how they are in their personal life. And if we don't acknowledge feelings, we can't influence them either. And this is even more true when working remote because you don't have the physical connection point with the team to help work through them together. We rely on people to actually bring themselves into a space um, and it doesn't just happen by serendipity. So the impact of this is that when people don't live by their values and beliefs and you walk past your standards because you don't feel comfortable sharing that bit of yourself, disillusionment can set in and you can struggle to recognise yourself over time um, and the way that you think, feel and act at work. <coughs> Brene Brown says, connection is why we're here. We are hardwired psychologically to connect with others. It's what gives purpose and meaning to our lives and without it, there is suffering. And when I've tried to separate myself, like the last graphic, it absolutely led to suffering and I really don't recommend it. So where we need to be is to find an overlap, classic designer Venn diagram. We need to find a way that we can bring our feelings, our values, our beliefs and our experiences to enrich our workplace and enrich our teams. 
When you feel safe to take risks and be vulnerable with each other, it means that your team is much more able to challenge the status quo and freely express thoughts, feelings, without a sense of negative repercussions. Essentially, it creates psychological safety. And when we do this all together, we create teams who can achieve incredible learning velocities together. And this, for me, is what a high-performing team feels like. When you learn and grow at a pace that seems unbelievable when you reflect on six or 12 months ago, and you go, wow, look how far we've come. And that's my experience at Creatable. So Project Aristotle was run by Google and asked the question, what makes an effective team at Google? And they studied 180 teams. And the researchers found that what really mattered to a for a team to be effective is not necessarily who was on the team, but about how the team worked together. And these are the top five factors, but obviously psychological safety was by far number one. And Amy Edmondson, who coined the term psychological safety, offers three simple things individuals can do to foster team, team psychological safety. The first is to frame work as a learning problem, not an execution problem. The second is to acknowledge your own fallibility, that you don't you know, have all the answers and you don't need to have all the answers. And the third is to model curiosity and ask lots of questions. And you'll see evidence of these three things in some of the stories I'm about to share with you. So I'm going to frame these through three key learnings um, from my time at Creatable that have enabled me to reframe feelings and transform the way I lead. As leaders, it's our role to create the environment where our team are able to have the courage to be vulnerable and promote the feelings and behaviours that help us authentically connect, build trust, problem solve and achieve together. But this doesn't just happen. It's our role to model these and show our team how to do it so they can do it for themselves. So the first key learning is to create the space for feelings to influence us. When I'm busy, it looks a bit like this. It feels like this. I'm in get shit done mode. Um, and often in that mode, I switch off my feelings because I've got deadlines, I've got focus, I'm getting, I'm, I'm getting through stuff. I'm thinking very logical um, about the solution and the best way to get there. And this is one of my strengths. So when I rely only on that, I neglect to think through the impact of that solution on the team on a much deeper emotional level uh, to actually understand what's really going on and whether that solution will actually, um, will actually fundamentally uh, help with the problem. And it's important to know that creating new behaviours, the first thing you need to do is change the way people feel and think. So this is what it actually, I have to create space. And what that means is Oops, sorry. Got a little. Um, I have to. I've actually created new behaviours to create that space at work. Recently, I was pretty frustrated and angry about a potential decision, and I questioned why I felt this way. And I used curiosity to really dig into these feelings. And I realised through reflection 
that the deeper impact of the decision could fundamentally change our culture, and not in a good way. And this realisation created the clarity for me to be able to create a plan and influence and change the decision and gain support from others before going back into that meeting. So I bought myself time, I bought a couple of days, and when we caught up in the next senior leadership team meeting, I was able to then share both my feelings and the logic and the plan that I'd, I'd created off the back of that and show the senior leaders how this might impact the team and maybe there's a different direction that we could take. And the result was that the discussion completely changed the course of that decision and together we found a better way to actually address the fundamental problem. The second key learning is connection improves project outcomes. A little while ago, I had to give feedback to Creatable's motion designer, Javid. It was one of the first projects we worked together on, and both of us were working from home. So he just sent through some animation concepts without really providing much context and asking for feedback. So by default, in my get shit done mode, I started typing out all the things I thought uh, needed to change. A couple of minutes after starting doing that, I stopped. And I realised, A, I didn't have the clarity on what he was trying to achieve, and B, motion design really isn't my strength. Um, so my wonderful ideas uh, to make it better are most likely to be inferior compared to someone who's an expert in that, in that discipline. So I deleted that email and instead I asked a question. I said, Jav, what is it that you're trying to achieve? And he took that opportunity to reply with some amazing rationale that showcased the depth to which he'd considered. And this inspired me and gave me the clarity I needed to actually be able to respond. And the feedback that I gave was all about how I can help him achieve what he wanted to do. So my compassionate response opened up communication between us and enabled us to work together in partnership to achieve his vision. After that experience, Jav reflected and, and said to me, hey, you know what? No one's ever given me feedback like that before. He said, generally, when I get feedback, it feels like a power play or it's a list of things I've done wrong, which crushes the creative spirit. And then it becomes an absolute grind to implement the feedback of what someone else has in their head. But instead, you gave me the opportunity to explain and stayed with me on the journey. The knock-on effect of this experience is that Jav and I now have a stronger connection built on trust and mutual respect. And because it worked so well for him, he's actually taken that behaviour on and gone on to change the way that he gives feedback to others. And the outcome of that solution, uh, if I think about what I initially wrote in that email, far more imaginative than I would have than my feedback in that initial in that initial mail, email. And the third key learning is that feelings drive performance. Twelve months ago, I couldn't have imagined myself standing here at Design Leadership speaking to you all. But a few months ago, I did some training that fundamentally changed my perspective. 
I completed a course by Michael Bungay Stania. He's the best-selling author of The Coaching Habit. Uh, and in that course, I learned about setting a worthy goal. Now, in the past, I've set a lot of SMART goals, OKRs, and honestly, they've never really helped me progress. They were too narrowly focused or just another form of ticking a box to say, hey, I'm actually doing my job. They never really motivated me and I found that my team treated them just the same. It was more goal setting charades than truly creating something that motivated action and learning. So I was pretty intrigued to see if uh, setting a worthy goal would actually make a difference. So what is a worthy goal? A worthy goal is a goal that's worthy of your commitment and worthy of your life. It's made up of three aspects. Is it thrilling? Does it tap into deep personal motivations? And this asks the question, is it exciting for you? Is it important? Does it connect to the team and company's priorities? And does it have a positive business impact? And is it daunting? Does it raise the bar on how you learn? Is it challenging you to grow? Now, in my previous goal-setting experience, it was really only ever about what's important to the business. And it was completely missing the thrilling and daunting aspects. So to go a little bit deeper, thrilling is all about what gets you out of the bed in the morning. What are your strengths? What are your capabilities? What are your values? Because if it's not thrilling, you're going to burn out or lose motivation very quickly. Important is all about connecting to the bigger business picture. What are the needs, goals, and values of your team? Because if it's not important, you'll be working on a self-centered goal that doesn't really impact the team or mission. And daunting, is it challenging but doable? This aspect talks about stretching your and developing your knowledge and understanding, building capability and skills, and creating new experiences. Because if it's not daunting, you're gonna stay in your comfort zone and risk becoming complacent. Now I set my worthy goal about three months ago and standing here speaking with you today means I've now achieved a, a milestone that I thought would take 12 months. As soon as I had the clarity on what I wanted to do and why it was important for me and my growth, suddenly opportunities presented themselves and I had to take them because it was worth doing. And if I hadn't set that goal, I probably would have let self-doubt and excuses like, oh, I'm too busy, stop me from submitting that proposal. And instead, I had to take a courageous step forward and go, hey, this is worth my time, it's worth my energy, and there's great value in, in learning from the experience. We've now adopted worthy goals at Creatable, and I now guide my team on, on the goal setting process and help them connect to their deep personal motivations. It's not necessarily easy because most have never done that kind of deep personal work before. But once they do tap into their deep personal motivations, it's a lot easier to persevere in the face of challenging situations and uncertainty that we're all facing, to actively push forward and w or pivot towards the goal. Dr. Henry Cloud says, just as we leave the effects of work behind in results, we leave the effects of interactions with people in their hearts, minds, and souls. After hearing some of the learnings from my leadership journey today, I'd like to invite you to consider how feelings might help you 
unlock your leadership potential and maximise your team's impact. Thank you, Carolyn. Um, we've, we've got time for a yep. quick question, if you have time. Yes. I'm, I'm going to give the audience an opportunity first to ask a question. And if you, at the back, hang on. Thanks, Carolyn. That was really good. Um, I'm curious about how you draw out your team to share their feelings. Um, short of doing it really overtly, like going, what are you feeling right now? Uh, what's, <laughs> yeah. what's worked for you? Um, I guess for me, it's, it's all about being a coach and asking really good questions. I'm not necessarily asking, what are you feeling? Um, I'm really diving into what's going on, what's, you know, what's happening, what can I help you with, or what, like, it's about listening. I actually try and refrain from offering my advice too quickly and too early um, and really digging into what's the challenge facing you and I find inevitably once we kind of get through those first couple of questions they start to reveal the feelings um, or signs of those feelings I'm definitely using a lot of active listening to interpret you know, whether it's, you know, some, some people might still say overwhelmed, but they'll probably just be like, I'm really busy, I can't prioritise. You know, there's things around it that they'll start saying that will give you signs of the feelings, whether they just actually share the, the actual word or not. But yeah, asking really good questions and trying to let them go down on that journey is really how I find I do it the best. I'm really fascinated by that idea of setting a daunting goal. Yeah. I love that word. I don't know about the rest of you, but I, I love that. Um, it, it feels, though, like a, a tricky balance to strike even in yourself, let alone working with others. Can yeah. you talk a little bit more about that process, how you find a balance between something that just triggers anxiety and, and feels overwhelming versus being something that's worthy and achievable in that? Yeah. I mean, there is a distinct process. I probably shouldn't be going into someone else's work about how to do it, but um, it's like there is a structured process and you start with a really, a really crappy version, like an instinctual version, and you refine it over three or four steps and each time getting more specific and making, sh and you, you test against those three aspects. So you kind of use your instinct, you know, on a scale of one to seven, you know, how daunting is it? Have you gone far enough? And it's really about, you know, calibrating for yourself. And it's really the person, like, personally, what is it for you? You know, for someone else, it might be a one, but for someone else, it's an absolute seven. So it's, yeah, calibrating against those three aspects and getting really specific so that you can actually visualize and what does that look like? What are all the things I could do to achieve that? Once you have the level of specificity and you can visualize it and people are excited and a bit scared, that's definitely, you're in the right spot. Fabulous. Any other questions for, yes? Yeah, so you had some examples about, I guess, that um, vulnerability in a one-on-one -on -one setting. Have you got any examples in like a team setting promoting that? Um, I might use an example that was shared with me when I, I gave a talk recently, and it's like vulnerability, 
I mean, I think it's hard to be like, if you've got something really big going on, one-on-one -on -one is probably the right forum. Um, but even something, something as simple as um, in a team meeting, someone shared that they, um, someone just started, you know, introduced their cat, brought something personal from their life, we're all working remote, and everyone introduced their, their pet and, you know, who they are, and brought something of themselves that you don't necessarily always see at work into that forum. And even, like, doing simple, small things like that start to create that connection. Like, now I know something about you that, you know, hey, I've got, a, I've got something too, I've got something to connect over. Um, so it's not necessarily about, you know, having DMs with the whole team. It's about creating the space for um, just to be able to connect. And the more that you connect and trust, the more that you go, oh, I know, I know something about you that's not just the work, you know, what's on the, the Zoom call. Um, often it's actually those small things and working together and the way that you act and, you know, being kind to each other and, and treating everyone. Like, it's those small things that over time really create that environment and making sure that we don't forget to do that when we're busy because I think that's the biggest risk when we're working remote we're all busy oh shit we've got to get got an agenda but we forget to you know hey let's actually catch up how are you doing um, have a bit of side chat and bring that into the meetings so you can actually connect and not just get work done thanks Carolyn thank you